Hey everyone, this is Lauren. And this is Anastasia. You're listening to Wait to Panic, a podcast where two friends take turns trying to scare one another shitless. This week, it's Anastasia's turn. And we're going to have some fun. Woohoo! So, let, okay, let's let's start with our happies first because this is going to get weird really fast. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so my happy is... I got all of my meal prep for the week done in an hour. Oh, dang. And that is, nice that job. is like a new record for me. That is awesome. <laughs> oh, so yeah, that's out of the way for the week. And I'm thrilled. Phenomenal. How about you? My happy this week is that I did a hair mask yesterday with aloe and conditioner, and I've got one. Big ass impressive curl right out the front of my hair, and it's making me very thrilled. Hopefully, I can get more of those happening. I like it. It is a very pretty curl. The lone curl on the head. <laughs> <laughs> so it's going to get weird fast, huh? It does. Like, weird and disturbing. Because, <laughs> to preface this, um, this isn't really... I don't know. It's it's not that bad of a story, but reading through, like, if you want to read through my links, it is not for the faint of heart. Oh, good. But I I scaled it as best I could. Um, but the idea for this one came about because in my typical weird work conversations, me and, like, the one guy who I can talk with pretty much anything about... Um, we were talking about, since you're doing your Wicked Ladies series, I wanted to cover the the spookier side of it. Yes. And so we started talking. He's like, well, like, have you have you done any, like, exorcisms? And I was like, well, not personally, but, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I, I'm not really a horror person, so I've never even watched, like, any of the exorcist anythings. Uh, but I am very curious about the the background of exorcism. And then we start talking about how we wondered how one goes about becoming like an ordained exorcist in the Catholic Church. And it just snowballed from there. And I didn't really find any answers because I didn't look it up. But I got distracted by this story. And today we are talking about Anna Eklund, or as she, I think... So Anna Eklund was a pseudonym for Emma Schmidt. One of the other pseudonyms was also Mary X. And oh, I feel like I've heard of this. You probably have. But even the name Emma Schmidt is not necessarily guaranteed to be her real name because they really did want to try and protect her identity. So I don't really know necessarily what her name was, but I'm going with Emma. Okay. Her case is considered to be one of the most well-documented cases of possession in the 20th century by both theology and paranormal scholars, and her case was even profiled in the February 1936 issue of Time magazine, which oh, oh uh, was... Yeah, exorcisms right? don't really get into uh, Time magazine very often. Uh, hers did. <laughs> yeah. Huh. So there are eyewitness accounts in Begone Satan, which was written by Carl Vogel, and I've got it linked in our our sources here in the description. 
I am but, glad that I poured the whiskey for this one. This is going to be good. Yeah. Yeah. You you will probably need it. But this whole story was just kind of absolutely bananas. And the more I read into it and like the more little rabbit holes I went down, it was just like, holy shit, what did I get myself into? But <laughs> <laughs> we're going to start with some background and just kind of jump right into it because it all snowballs from here. So Emma was there were conflicting sources one said that she was born in switzerland the other said that she was born in marathon wisconsin either way she was born march 23rd 1882 and she was raised by a catholic family in marathon wisconsin so regardless of where she was actually born that was where she grew up and the birth records indicated that both of her parents were german immigrants there isn't a whole lot that's known about either of her parents beyond that, but it is speculated that her mother passed away or possibly just left home, and I don't blame her, Ooh. in 1890, which really unfortunately left Emma in the care of what can, honestly, the lightest description for this is in the care of her abusive and alcoholic father. Oh, no. Yeah, his name was Jacob Eklund, and he was, at best, a drunk. He was openly critical of Anna's beliefs. She was very religious, deeply Catholic, and he took every opportunity he could to mock her beliefs, the church, the ministers, and, like, to his dying breath, was what not a... a good person. What a dick. Yeah. So I I don't know which, depending on if her mom passed away or just left town, but while her mother was still in the picture, uh, Jacob took up with a mistress named Mina. And the really fucked up part of this is she was either his sister oh. or, <laughs> yeah, or his stepsister. Uh, and either way, that's just really gross. I, I don't like either of those. Yeah. I told you, I was going to snowball fast. You did. You warned me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to swap to the whiskey now. I was drinking the peppermint tea. Now I think it's some monkey shoulder time. You're going to need that for the next part. Okay. I'll put that down and wait. <laughs> so somewhere after Emma's mother left, between, she, between the time she was roughly 10 to 14 years old, Jacob tried to pressure Emma into an incestuous relationship. <gasps> yeah. But luckily, she was able to rebuff him. He was never successful. Oh, good job, Emma. But you can imagine that this probably put a bit of a strain on this already very, very strained relationship. And it was about this time that Emma's mental health took a very, very sharp turn. And she started to miss her church meetings. So Sundays, she wouldn't go to church. And people started noticing because, again, she, up until this point, had been very religious and very devout, went every Sunday, participated in all the church functions she could. And so people started, you know, reaching out to her and making sure she was okay, asking, you know, hey, we haven't seen you lately. Is everything all right? And it was about this time when she started missing these meetings, that she found herself unable to actually enter in a church without being almost overwhelmed 
by violent thoughts. Hmm. And so when people started asking her, you know, hey, we haven't seen you in a while, what's up? She stated that she felt the urge to smash the holy water fountains, harm the priests, etc., etc. Like, all of this just was in her mind, just all these violent thoughts, and she couldn't bring herself to take communion before long either. She just, nothing church-related she could do. She felt revulsion from every bit of consecrated items that were there. And again, it wasn't long before she was unable to enter a church whatsoever. She claimed that she felt like she was being held back by some interior hidden power. Well, that's interesting because you would like, okay, so from mental health perspective, you would think it would just be like not such pinpointed religious uh-huh. tendencies. Like that, that is very targeted. Yeah. So it was... At about this point where she's, people are asking her, you know, why haven't we seen you, that she said she began uttering sexualized thoughts of what she deemed were unspeakable acts. And as the church counselors got involved, they deemed this behavior a form of possession. So I found it interesting, like, through it all, like, I guess it's not really surprising, but that there's so little little care from her own father. I mean, I, I get that he's not, not a great person, but like there's there's just no concern for her whatsoever that's documented. And like it's her local church that got involved and contacted the the priests that we'll talk about next. But like there's there's really no mention positive of her father in this entire entire thing. And this is why positive community relationships are important, regardless of if they're family or otherwise. Yeah. Blood pretty relations, much. not the only thing that can help you. Nope. And so her church really stepped up, and they contacted Father Theophilus Reisinger. He was born in Bavaria, Germany in 1868, and at age 20, he joined the Capuchins, which <laughs> made me chuckle because it made me think of the little monkeys. Um, <laughs> but it's a branch of the Francis Franciscan? Franciscan. Clearly, I'm not super religious. <laughs> <laughs> you got um, this. You're doing great. Uh, Franciscan order, and he was ordained on the 29th of June, 1899. He immigrated to the U.S. and landed in New York before moving to the Midwest in 1912. By the time Emma is, his and Emma's path crossed, it was 1912, that year that he went to the Midwest. And when they met and he started interviewing her, Emma told Reisinger that she believed her torments were a result of curses placed on her by her Aunt Mina, who Uh. was widely viewed as a witch, and that she was cursing her and putting cursed herbs into her food. Cool. So Mina, the creepy mistress, is probably poisoning Emma. Mm-hmm. Cool, cool, cool. Yep. So Reisinger performs his first exorcism on her, and it was actually deemed successful, and she did return to a normal life. But there isn't a whole lot of documentation that is available about this first attempt, but we've got a lot more to go off of. <laughs> Oh, good. So, 
the effects of this first attempt were, unfortunately for Emma, fairly short-lived. Between the first and the second one, we've got like the in-between times where everything seemed like it was going well and she lived a fairly normal life. Her father passed away and (laughs) as an update on her great dad, uh, when he did finally pass away, even on his deathbed and while getting his final sacraments from the priest, he scoffed and insulted the priest right before he died. <laughs> so, dude, you didn't guy. have to take it. Come on. Right. Great guy. Uh, so, yeah, Emma did not have lasting peace as we might hope. And so a couple years go by and she starts to find it very hard to be around religion again. She started lashing out at her spiritual counselor and at one point even tried to suffocate him. Oh, which, oh my. She said that she was hearing voices that were driving her up the wall and she was back to trying to destroy any religious symbols that she wore. So she couldn't wear a cross. She would try and rip it off of her. All of those other things. She said doctors were no help to her. They examined her, found her physically fit. I know they did not say mentally fit, but I imagine early 1900s, that was not a um, real big part of their diagnosis skills. So doctors said they found her physically fit and would dismiss her. So with no other course of option, she went back to the church to help. So for several years, her church counselor, which... um, Bold attempt for going to continue to help her after she's already tried to stu- like suffocate you. Uh, they they tried for several years to help her. They noticed that there were several abnormalities over that time. She was now able to understand languages that she did not previously know before, specifically Latin. Hmm. Uh-huh. So when they said the priest would speak to her, she would foam at the mouth and became absolutely livid. She could sense when any blessed objects were nearby, which I read that. I was like, well, I mean, you're in a church, so I Yeah, but how many objects are actually blessed? (laughs) There is that. There is that. But even when they would bless, like, normal everyday objects... She would be able to sense them and demand that they were removed from her presence. Yeah. I was like, because I was like, well, how many like blessed objects are there at church? And then that was like the next line I read was, (laughs) oh, yeah, they even bless like ordinary day to day objects just to see if she would pick up on it. And yeah, she did. Just like this clock has been blessed. Take it away. (laughs) I don't like this pencil. Okay, the idea of a blessed pencil is very funny to me. <laughs> uh, maybe it would help us write. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, with this pencil, we write the word. <laughs> uh, so between 1912 and their next meeting, nearly two decades go by before Reisinger is called back. And in the summer of 1928, he comes back to perform the second exorcism on Emma. So due to the experience that he's had over the last 10 years, he has performed, or two decades, two decades, yeah, he has performed over 19 exorcisms in that time. 
Holy balls. Yeah. So he has really upped his experience game here. So the Bishop Thomas Dunn of Des Moines, Iowa, requested that Reisinger come back and give it another go. At the suggestion of Reisinger's friend, a Father Joseph Steiger, uh, he asks to use Steiger's convent, which was owned by the Franciscan sisters in Erling, Iowa. So there were a couple reasons why this particular convent was so appealing. The first, or well, I should say the town itself. Hmm. There was a Catholic church, the convent, and Emma could stay there during the whole process, which was the most appealing part. But also, there were only a few hundred residents in that town, Mm. but it was still close enough to the city of Des Moines and a major railway that Emma could travel there fairly easily. Okay, so few potential backlash victims and easy access if medical care is needed. That's what I'm hearing. Okay. There's that, but there's also the secrecy. So they oh. wanted somewhere that wasn't a hustle-bustle kind of town. They wanted to be able to do this kind of on the down low and not have a bunch of looky-loos wondering what the hell's going on inside. Okay. But their biggest hope was that they could maintain her privacy, really, her anonymous status. Mm. I don't know how successful they really were, but... There's multiple names, so they at least created confusion. (laughs) Yeah, true. Uh, But they hoped that if they took her away from her home and to this convent, that if it really was a case of possession, that it would lessen the power of the demonic forces that were tormenting her. Unfortunately, it became clear almost immediately that uh, the distance between her home and this convent did not make a single difference. Oh, so it was attached to her and not the location. Yep. So Emma went to the convent on August 17th, 1928, and immediately began exhibiting multiple symptoms, such as falling into fits of rage over food that had been sprinkled with holy water and hissing like a cat. (laughs) Which... The cat parts made me chuckle. Yeah, me too. Partially because I have been known to hiss at things I don't like. Oh, yeah. Jokingly, but the fact that it could be a symptom, I'm like, oh, (laughs) maybe I shouldn't do that. Someone might think bad things. Yeah, Yeah, but the the food, it had been prepared by a fairly well-meaning sister who had just sprinkled some on in the kitchen when she was making it and blessed the food. Before it went to her, Emma did not like that. She said that she, from the first instant she stepped on the grounds, so that she wanted to attack the nuns. And she knew when that food was blessed and refused all food and drink unless they reprepared it and brought it to her. And she would just sit in her room, quote, purring like a cat until Risinger arrived. Uh, okay. That's a, how does mm, I can't really imitate purring. No. No. <laughs> I imagine a human imitating purring is much less soothing than an actual cat purring though. Yeah, Especially just, if it's coming from a lady suspected of being possessed. Do you remember um the old Batman movies from like the 80s? Yes. So, like the one with Catwoman that's just like purr, purr, purr. 
and rubbing, <laughs> like licking her hand and rub. That's what I'm imagining for the purring. <laughs> yeah. Uh, a little creepy. Yeah. A little creepy. <laughs> creepy. This this whole thing is a little creepy. Truth. But it actually took Risinger a little longer to arrive than expected. Father Steiger had a car that he was very proud of. It was a brand new vehicle. And he was very up and up on keeping up with maintenance and making sure it functioned like it should. It was his new toy, so he, he liked to take good care of it. But when he went to go pick up Risinger, it refused to accelerate properly. Oh. Like, it just plugged along nice and slow. And when he made his apologies to Risinger, like, hey, I am so sorry that it took me so long to get here. Uh, this is what was going on. Risinger just kind of laughed and goes, uh, my dear friend, I was not wrought up about it at all. I would have been much more surprised if everything had gone smoothly. Difficulties will arise. They must be expected to arise. The devil will try his utmost to foil our plans. While waiting, I prayed constantly that the evil spirit would not be able to harm you, as I suspected he would try to interfere with your coming, that he would try to injure you personally. So there's that. Oh. Uh, mm. <laughs> yeah. So, mind you, the train station was not any great distance from the convent, but the journey took him almost two hours to get there. So it's like the kind of thing where like it should have taken like 15 to 30 minutes and it took two uh -huh. hours instead. Dang. Yeah. And so when Risinger gets to the car, he immediately blessed the vehicle, goes to sit in the back, and just sat there quietly reciting the rosary. And they had absolutely no problems on their way back to the convent. Just car function like it should have. No problems. So this is August 18th at this point, so the next day. And him and Emma meet now for the second time. And she tells him, basically, that she has not experienced a day of peace in decades. Mm, poor Emma. Poor Emma. So, August 18th, 1928. The first of three sessions begins. And it kind of blew my mind how long this poor, poor lady, because she's, I think, 40-something at this point. Um, the total number of days that they spent exercising... This this poor lady was about 28 days total. <gasps> yeah, it took place between August and December. So she stayed there for four months trying to... Okay, so yeah, the, the total number of days they spent exercising Emma was roughly 28 in total. Spanned four months between August and December. So the morning of August 18th, uh, Father Reisinger and all of those involved, he selected, which I found kind of funny, but was a smart choice, I suppose. He selected only the strongest sisters to help him. They all went to mass together and armed themselves with whatever various holy blessed objects they could find, which kind of made it seem like they were gearing up for war and... It wasn't really far off, unfortunately. Yeah, I was going to say, it kind of sounds like they were... Yeah. So the description of this was, okay, so the first exorcism lasted eight days until August 26th. 
So they said that they placed her on an iron bed, and it was kind of a weird description. I had to look it up a bit more. With her clothes and sleeves tied down to prevent her from breaking free. So the sleeves tied down kind of threw me, but what they did was they tied her sleeves shut so her arms, like, she was... In, oh, like, like she couldn't get her... It, yeah. it was like they put her into, uh, like, what you put the little kids into when they sleep. Yeah. Yeah, I, I couldn't remember what that was called. I, uh... All I sack? could think was, like, a... All I could think <laughs> was, like, a snuggle sack, and I don't think that's anything that exists. I mean, it sounds marketable. Put that thing on <laughs> Etsy. I bet you anything people would buy something with the name snuggle sack. True. Make it for humans, yeah. I'll buy it. <laughs> or humans, adults, make it for adults, I'll buy it. <laughs> oh, uh, good times. Good. So, yeah, she was tied with her arms inside her dress to prevent her from using her hands and attacking those present. Whew. The nuns were told to hold her to the bed in case anything unusual should happen. And they began. So, as... So as soon as they began, Father Reisinger begins to speak the rites, Emma's eyes closed, and she immediately fell unconscious. Ooh. When I say, like, her eyes were closed, they were so tightly closed that they couldn't even, like, force them open. Like Oh, like she was glued. holding them. That, like, mm-hmm. her body was clenching every muscle. Yeah. And they said through most of the exorcisms, this was a very common occurrence. Like, her mouth, even later, like, her mouth was shut. And they would hear voices, but her mouth wouldn't be moving. Oh, I hate that. Yeah. <sighs> Gross. Um, but yeah, <laughs> the, <laughs> the uh, relative peace of this did not last long. And the whole situation just kind of went to hell in a handbasket <laughs> really, really fast. The irony. <laughs> the irony. Uh, Emma was able to dislodge herself from the bed and threw herself high up on the wall. Ugh. And they had to force her back down onto the bed. Oh, gross. Gross, yeah, gross, gross, so. gross, 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 <laughs> I've got an account of it. And it said, with lightning speed, the possessed dislodged herself from the bed and from the hands of her guards, and her body, carried through the air, landed high above the door of the room, and clung to the wall with a tenacious grip. All present were struck with trembling fear. Father Theophilus alone kept his peace. Like, through it all, Reisinger was the champ. Like, from August to December, he was the only one that, like, kept his shit together for all of this. But. Wow. They, I mean, they 19 forced exorcisms her... experience. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he, he knew what he was dealing with. But once they got her back on the bed, she started screaming. Oh, no. So records stated that howling, piercing, wretched screaming tore through the convent walls, and Reisinger commanded them to cease with silence, Satan, keep quiet, you infamous reprobate. Oh, okay. We need to start calling people infamous reprobates. (laughs) That is the best insult I have ever heard of. Yeah, I I was quite a fan of that. Uh, Was not a fan of Satan 
making a repeated appearance through Emma. But yeah, well, we got lots on that. Okay. Oh, so you're telling, okay, from that, I'm hearing that we are like still getting into it. Like this, this is. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. More whiskey and tea. Yep. So this um, screaming was actually a very enduring theme through it all. The sisters that were involved, they actually had to come up with a rotating schedule where they could take breaks and be away from her to recuperate. And yeah, I, I of everyone, I, I felt so bad for the sisters involved. Like they did their absolute best and that could not have, regardless of if it was a case of possession or just a very mentally ill woman, that had to be a very hard situation to deal with. Yeah. But as you can imagine, that much screaming tends to draw some attention. So it wasn't long before the townsfolk, the couple hundred of them that there were, um, started wondering what was happening inside the stone walls of that convent that could be making that much noise. Fair question, townspeople. Fair question. Yep. Yep. So it wasn't long before... We get into the sessions, and the voices start. So, Reisinger's questions were answered by voices all speaking English, German, and Latin, which, again, German makes sense to me because hopefully her parents still spoke some German to her, so maybe she picked up on that. And the Latin, still not sure how to feel about that one. But all these voices claim to belong to multiple entities, including Beelzebub, Judas, her father, and her Aunt Mina. Ugh. As well as, like, I guess a bunch of, they they said uh, demon brethren, or demon brats was actually what they referred to them brats. as. <laughs> so I was like, did they just invite their kids along for, like, come with your dad to work day, or? <laughs> That's kind what of what it sounds like. <laughs> just like, come along, demon children. Come see what daddy yeah. does for work. Right. So throughout it all, Emma vomited what was described, and I'm sorry, impossible amounts of rancid bile and liquid that appeared to be filled with chewed tobacco leaves. Oh. Which to me, that immediately, like, they say if you throw up what looks like ground coffee, that that's like a sign of internal bleeding. Yeah. So I wondered if that was part of it maybe but she also hadn't consumed anything more than a little bit of milk and water at this point sounds like her body was eating her organs yeah so one of the accounts said it was heartrending to see all that came forth from the pitiable creature and often the ordeal was almost unbearable outpourings that would fill a pitcher yes even a pail full of the most obnoxious stench were most unnatural These came in quantities that were, humanly speaking, impossible to lodge in a normal being. At that, the poor creature had hardly eaten scarcely for weeks, so that there had been reason to fear she would not survive. At one point, the emission was a bowl full of matter resembling vomited macaroni. (gasps) Oh, no. Oh, Oh, I am not eating macaroni and cheese for a long time. Oh, no, no, no. (laughs) 
at another time an even greater measure, having the appearance of sliced and chewed tobacco leaves, was emitted. From ten to twenty times a day, this wretched creature was forced to vomit, though she had taken, at most, only a teaspoon of water or milk by way of food. Okay, so, side question. Uh-huh. What kind of puker are you? Because I'm, like, imagining if I did this, how disturbing it would be for everyone. I am a very loud puker. I have never been able to quiet puke. I, I don't know how people do it. I wish I could, because it would make puking way less terrible. But, like, if I'm throwing up somewhere, like, the next house can hear it kind of levels. Oh, no. I'm, like, I am very quiet for the most part, but there's... I would say about a 10 second window before I process the, this doesn't feel good. I need to be in front of a toilet or a sink or something now. Oh, <laughs> like yes, I got about, <laughs> about 10 seconds for me to be at a receptacle of some sort. <laughs> nice of your body to give you any warning, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I just, I, I hate throwing up whatsoever. Oh, it's the absolute worst feeling that I can imagine. Like, yeah. To have to do on repeat, like I, I am comparing all of the like I am relating to this through my last experience with the flu, which I had like two years ago, mm-hmm. uh, and I was sick for like two weeks, and it was basically just a lot of throwing up, and it was awful, and I looked like absolute death, and I yep. can only imagine what this poor woman looked like and felt like throughout all of it. I'm like, oh god, this sounds so bad. So, so bad. about that, oh no, it gets worse, doesn't it? Yeah. Her body was said to have become distorted, expanding, (gasps) contracting, and twisting as she shouted information about those present, things that she would have had no way of knowing. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah. So the only one who was able to really withstand these daily sessions was Father Isinger. The sisters, like I said, they had to rotate in and out to give themselves time to recover what was happening in there. Mm-hmm. So during this all, we get, I don't know, probably like the October time frame. And Father Steiger, he really starts to regret suggesting that the exorcism take place in his parish. Ooh. Um, because it has gone on so much longer than he expected. And it's so much more violent than he was anticipating. He had really no prior experience with what exorcism actually entailed, and this was a bit of an eye-opener for him. So he voiced his opinion that maybe the ritual should be stopped and moved elsewhere, and Reisinger was surprised by it and pretty much told him that his doubts were being caused by the devil, putting them into his head, and that it was the devil's attempt to drive a wedge between them because they were fairly old friends at this point. Mm. Um, and just kind of drive a wedge between their relationship. The, the demons apparently also had something to say about this. And through Emma, they told Steiger rather gleefully because he did kind of rescind. He was like, okay, well, this can continue. Um, that makes sense. Sorry for doubting it. Carry on. And so the demons through Emma told him fairly gleefully. Um, I think they said it was, um, they just said the devil. So whichever one of those that entails, I want to say it's Beelzebub, but I don't know. 
Um, but they told him, just wait until the end of the week. When Friday comes, then dot, dot, dot. Oh. <laughs> oh, gross. Uh-huh. So, mindful of that, uh, nice little warning. When Friday arrives, Father Stagger was involved in a car accident while he was on his way back from visiting a sick woman. He administered her last sacrament and then headed back to the church. And even though the road that he drove on, he'd driven hundreds of times, knew every inch of it, that little threat was still niggling in the back of his head. So as he was about to go over a bridge that crossed over a deep ravine, he said a dense black cloud appeared before him, and it was as though he had been blindfolded. His car crashed into the railing with fairly surprising force because he had shoved the car into the lowest possible gear that he could, and the yeah the amount of force that went into that crash was fairly substantial. The car hung teetering over the edge of the bridge, the vehicle threatening to fall at any moment, any wrong move. The miracle of it all was, even though the steering wheel had been crushed, like completely shattered, mm -hmm. the steering wheel rod in the center, it didn't pierce his chest. Whew. Which, that was something that was very common at the time in those type of accidents. And so, when he crashed, there was a farmer in a nearby field that witnessed the accident. He booked it over and helped to extract Steiger. He ran back home, got his car, and drove the priest to the nearest doctor he could and found, despite some minor external injuries, some scrapes and bumps and bruising, that the father had no actual serious wounds. There was no internal bleeding, no concussion, nothing. Oh, that's lucky. Very, very lucky. But for the following weeks, he claimed that he could not sleep at night because he heard a constant stream of unearthly sounds that would only stop briefly when he woke up and would start praying. Oh, I hate that. <laughs> so when he got back to the church that night, he said he was greeted with laughter from the same voice that had threatened him, saying, It served you right. Be ready for a whole lot more fun. Oh, gross. Mm-hmm. It's like a demonic slumber party with pranks. <laughs> a I really shitty slumber party. A really shitty slumber party. You're supposed to have fun at those. Ugh. Well, I mean, half of them are having fun. Not the half that counts, but... <laughs> <laughs> I wish that uh. I could convey the face that I made <laughs> across the microphone. However, I cannot. So we'll have to keep going. <laughs> So there were several times when Reisinger asked, what business have you here of the voice that called itself Judas? And it responded, sorry, slight trigger warning here, to bring her to despair so that she will commit suicide and hang herself. She must get the rope. She must go to hell. Oh, Yeah. That's... When... See, that's just really sad because that, like, for those who don't know, supposedly committing suicide is a sin that damns your soul and mm -hmm. just puts uh, anyone that has suicidal thoughts into a potentially different <clears throat> perspective. 
Um, and it's very sad all around. Yeah. Um, you're not going to like the next part, even less okay. than you've liked the rest. Cool. Thank you for the warning. Yeah. So the voice of her father also made an appearance. Ugh. <laughs> Ugh is right. He revealed that, yes, in fact, he had lived a rather horrible life and admitted that he had tried to force himself on Emma and that she had rebuffed him. So in retaliation, he cursed her. You motherforking frickin'... Accurate. (laughs) He said that he wished for her to be taken over by demons and devils so they could entice her to commit every possible sin against chastity, thereby ruining her both body and soul. I can't have you. (sighs) Everyone will and you will go to hell. Douche. Yep. What an ass. He said that despite receiving his final sacrament and despite mocking the priest, it was his cursing of his own daughter that was what earned him eternal damnation. Which, fair. Yeah, I was going to say pretty dang forgiving of the rest of it, but you crossed a frickin' line, my dude. Yeah. I don't like how forgiving of uh, hitting on your daughter, it seems, but, you know, I'm not the one judging. Right. So, Mina... Father's mistress slash Emma's aunt. She also made an appearance, because why not? Uh, she said she was in hell for the murder of her children, or her, oh. little, her little ones, she said. And when Reisinger asked how many she had killed, she paused and goes, Three? No, actually four. Oh, Mina. Like, she couldn't even remember the right number. Okay, wait, wait, I have a question, because, like, this is within the Catholic faith, correct? Mm-hmm. Yep. Would that count abortions or, like, Plan B pills and stuff like that? Because in which case, maybe less Omina, but... I imagined that it included that, which, mm-hmm. if you take into account especially that her and essentially a blood relative, a very close blood relative, yeah. were... Caring, yeah, on a relationship than if there were any any children that resulted from that. Um, they they knew even at that time what kind of birth defects and whatnot would result. So, could be little, especially because she said little ones. That mm, I mean, made, I, made me wonder. Maybe it's. That almost makes me feel like Mina was being at least slightly responsible. Terrible life choices and partner, but, like, mildly responsible. Um, But it also could have meant that she had children and then murdered them, which is real bad. Yeah. Yeah. She's not a... I mean, you can pretty much just debase her of all the, the good feelings. Yeah. So Risinger, when she spoke, he heard her and pretty much immediately came to the realization that this voice belongs to a woman that is absolutely full of hate. Oh, no. He said the accounts of her speech were filled with such bitter hatred and spite that they far surpassed all that had happened so far. Her demeanor towards the Blessed Sacrament is beyond description. She would spit and vomit in hideous manner so that both Father Theophilus and the pastor 
had to use handkerchiefs constantly to wipe off the spittle from habit and cassock. Ew. Because, yeah. Because of her unworthy communions, it was clear that the Blessed Sacrament, the bread of eternal life, which should have been the source of her eternal salvation, turned out to be her eternal damnation, for she tried to get at the Blessed Sacrament with a burning vengeance and hatred. Oof. Oof. These sessions continued for weeks, and to the disheartening of everyone involved with uh, seemingly little effect. It was recorded that during these, Emma's face was described as becoming so distorted that no one could actually recognize her features, and her body became so horribly disfigured that the regular contour of her body would vanish, which is horrifying. Um... Again, I'm sorry for this next description. I keep forgetting what I had written in here, and it just keeps getting worse. <laughs> oh, good. Okay. It, We're just going to put, like, a giant trigger warning on this entire episode. Just, like, everything's bad. The yeah, one where everything's it, bad. And it's, like, just the mental pictures on this. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it said, Her pale, death-like, and emaciated head often assumed the size of an inverted water pitcher. Ugh! Becoming as red as glowing embers. Her eyes would protrude out of their sockets, her lips swelled up to proportions equaling the size of hands, and her thin, emaciated body was bloated to such enormous size that the pastor and some of the sisters drew back out of fright, thinking that the woman would be torn to pieces and burst asunder. Oh, good God. At times, her abdominal region and extremities became... As hard as iron and stone, in such instances, the weight of her body pressed into the iron bedstead so that the iron rods of the bed itself bent to the floor. Good sweet Mary Poppins. (laughs) Yep. So about the time of December 15th was when things started to change. In the last couple months, Father Reisinger, they said, appeared to have aged almost 20 years. He, in the final three nights, sensed that the end was close, and in order to not give the demons any peace, he continued the exorcisms on his own for three days and nights without any breaks. The sisters that were assisting him, they still they still took their rotations, but even they were pretty much on the verge of mental breakdowns. Um, They said Reisinger had the appearance of a walking corpse and appeared that at any moment he might collapse. So the situation has really devolved at this point. But they saw the, the light at the end of the tunnel, so to speak, one night when the Saint Therese of Lisieux, who was known as Little Flower, appeared to Emma... And said, do not lose courage. The end is soon at hand. And on the ceiling, those present in the room, they saw roses, which was usually a signal of her intervention. Oh, well, that's sweet. Yeah, so that that brought a little bit of hope back to the situation. So now it's December 23rd, 1928 still. Four months have passed. And around 9 p.m. that night, Emma leapt from her bed. They wrestled her back down, thinking it's just another struggle, and she falls back down and starts quietly mumbling, Beelzebub, 
Judas, Jacob, Mina, hell, hell, hell. Keep in mind, she's fairly unconscious for all of this. Mm-hmm. And so a few minutes go by, and she regains consciousness, opens her eyes, and declares, From what a terrible burden have I been freed at last. My Jesus, mercy, praise be Jesus Christ. Woohoo! From that moment forward, it seemed that Emma led a fairly peaceful life. She was finally able to fully embrace her faith and faded into history until passing away at age 59 on July 23rd, 1941. Okay, you know, given everything she went through for how many decades and how malnourished she had to have been for such a long time, like, 59's a pretty good age. Right? Yeah. The... All the sisters who lived at that convent and were involved, they all ended up requesting transfers to other convents to escape the place where this had happened. Support. Um, Yeah, strong support. Father Reisinger, he passed away also in 1941. He continued his religious career of preaching and exorcism up until his death. Wow. Mm -hmm. But the exorcism of... Emma Schmidt, Anna Eklund, Mary X, whatever you, whoever you want to call her, was one of the last to be officially sanctioned exorcisms by the Catholic Church, and papal records do report that an exorcism of a woman did pl- take place at a convent of the Franciscan Sisters over three separate sessions that totaled 28 days. There was such secrecy that surrounded this that only the accounts that come from those who claim to witness the events with their own eyes um, pretty much led most experts to believe that the case of Emma Schmidt was one of the actual true documented case of demonic possessions and one of the few in the United States. Wild. So you want some funnies for this? Yes, please. I could use them. (laughs) So, some of the funnier moments in all of this, um, because there there were a few, when presented with a crucifix that wasn't wood, it was actually made of paper mache. Mm -hmm. Uh, Apparently, Satan popped in to mock the hell out of Father Reisinger, and he goes, ha, so you arrived with a pasteboard cross. Since when did he die on a paper cross? If my knowledge doesn't fail me, he was nailed to a wooden one. Oh, dang. I was like, all right, just popping in here to throw some shade at the poor guy. Like, come on. He's just, like, completely mocking. It's, come on, Satan. They're trying. It's probably being mass-produced. Come on. Uh, And then one of the other was, it said that at times, though, even the steady Father Reisinger became weary. When exhausted, he would make a slight mispronunciation of the Latin prayers and exorcism rites, and the voice that identified itself as Beelzebub would horn in and shout, So-and-so is right. Dumbbell, you don't know anything. (laughs) Dumbbell. I was like, they're just a bunch of sassy, douchey demons just mocking the hell out of this poor guy. (laughs) It's like the worst internal voices just giving you shit constantly. Oh, yeah, just casual shade. Rude. Rude. (laughs) We don't need Uh, your negativity here. We already (laughs) knew we were wrong. (laughs) Right? Um, And then interesting note, I told you this last night, but the devil, he 
claimed that in the years 1952 to 55 would be the time of the Antichrist's birth. So... Well, that explains a lot about our current predicament, doesn't it? (laughs) Right. I mean, we missed it by a few years, but yeah. Well, I mean, for the person we're thinking of being the Antichrist, but I feel like it could still be influenced. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Ugh. Yeah. But if if anyone wants to read The Begone Satan, uh, I've got a link for it. He was a theologian, and he... He wrote it in 1935 with the pseudonym Anna Eklund, so that's what you'll see in there. But that's that's all I've got for the creepy story for today. Well, bravo on making it super creepy. Yeah, hope you enjoyed that slash didn't enjoy it. <laughs> I, I both enjoyed and did not enjoy that, correct. <laughs> uh, all right, so... You ready for some some real funnies? Yes, please. (laughs) Okay, so these two are from Katie again. Yay, thanks, Katie. And she she finds some of the best ones. (laughs) Uh, This one was from the other day, and it it made me laugh. Do they allow loud loud laughing in Hawaii or just aloha? Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Okay. <laughs> oh, I I got a good oh, laugh at that goodness. one. <laughs> uh, the worst hotel that I've ever stayed in was called The Fiddle. It was a vile inn. Oh my goodness. Okay. <laughs> okay. 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 Uh, I just... <laughs> Woof. it's so good it's so bad it's so good (laughs) i will be stealing that one though oh please do (laughs) oh gosh let's see did you hear about the german fairy tale museum catching on fire no yeah the situation looks very grim (laughs) i was wondering where i tried to go to like cancel gretel or something with that it was wrong it was looks pretty good Brothers Grimm. <laughs> oh, gosh. Let's see. I wonder if tap dancers walk into a room, look at the floor, and think, I'd tap that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's my favorite one thus far. <laughs> uh, Mostly because I actually know some tap dancers and can confirm they do think that. Oh. Uh, uh, Let's see. Okay, I don't know if we want to keep this one in, but it makes me laugh anyway. Okay. Is butt cheeks one word, or should it be spread apart? (laughs) 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 Oh, we're keeping that one in. (laughs) (sighs) Oh, that's wrong. (sighs) It's not super wrong, though. It is super funny. That's all for this week. Thanks for listening, and check back next Sunday for another episode. If you need some extra spookums, check out our mini-stories at waittopanic.com. And as always, if you have a story to share or some good puns, send them to us in an email at waittopanicpodcast at gmail.com. Make good choices, and remember, wait Wait to panic. panic.